Hello, listeners, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of World Forge. World Forge is a podcast by creators and for creators, where we use random prompts to invent just about anything you can imagine. Together, we'll make heroes and villains, ancient monsters and magical cities. And our hope is that we inspire all the other creators and storytellers out there listening to do the same. So, without any further ado, I'm Sam. And I'm Piper. And welcome to World Forge. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. Welcome back to World Forge. Hey, we're back again. We are back again. After it, what feels like a very long time to me, it seems like it's been ages since we recorded. We've had kind of a busy week here. Yeah, um, but lots of D&D stuff, which yes, is really nice. Lots and lots of D&D stuff. We, we have, we've made it. We played two <laughs> D&D sessions in one week, Piper. Two separate parties of D&D in one week. Well, yes. Well, we <laughs> played one session and we helped some other people make characters. Yes. We, yeah. Yes. So, I mean, I, well... I, I think from their perspective, that's a pretty significant jump forward because, spoiler alert, uh, they had never played D&D before. And that's actually going to be what we're talking about this week is, um, you know, trying to design adventures uh, for new D&D players and how to bring people into D&D and some of our sort of advice for that. So getting yeah. a little bit uh, meta this week, I think. Yeah. We're, we're taking a little bit different of an approach than we usually do. It's going to be kind of a comprehensive episode, mm-hmm. building a bunch of different things and talking about how they can actually fit into a story very specifically. Yeah, because we were saying Sam decided to take on the D&D role uh, for introducing uh, two of our friends, which, by the way, a little background. Um, so my friend Ellie, who I went to high school with, um, we recently got together uh, at some like social event or whatever, and we were talking about how Sam and I do D&D, and she was saying that she and her fiancé have been really interested to try it out, but they don't know anybody yeah. who plays. And so we were like, yeah, we'll totally help you do that. And so we just started by obviously you know, walking them through making a character and things like that, rolling the stats. And after they left, Sam and I were kind of talking about it, and we decided, you know what, instead of creating the, the starting scenario without recording it so that you could all hear, why don't we bring you <laughs> in on this uh, experience and kind of do it live. And I I think that'll be an interesting thing, too, because we have our first actual play session with them scheduled for this week. And Mm -hmm. so we're going to be able to build this episode, build this adventure, or at least the start of this adventure live on air here. And the next week, we'll be able to come and kind of talk about how it actually went and and sort of unpack all of that. And I think that'll be a really cool exercise to be able to do on air. Um, This won't be a two-part episode necessarily. It'll probably be something that we talk about just kind of briefly at the the start of next episode. But I do think that there will be a lot of value to that and getting to see how we actually, you know, we come up with a lot of silly ideas on the show, Mm -hmm. but we don't really get to actually apply them to our our games in a literal sense that often, at least not on air. So right. I think that'll be fun to get to, to go through with all of you listeners. I agree. I also think it'll be really interesting to kind of see, we can, you know, see the results of our efforts. We will be creating this kind of situation that hopefully they will engage with. And then once they actually do the playthrough, we can come back and say, hey, they loved it. Or we can come back and say, we didn't do that great. <laughs> they It didn't go the way we wanted to. But those are all learning experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's a really important important part of the process. And we'll be talking a bit here about some of our kind of advice and insight, uh, you know, as as a long-term D&D player and as a newer 
were a D&D player and what we would sort of say are important things to consider when you're bringing new people into the game or when you're introducing, you know, new parties to each other, things like that. And we have some cool advice that we got from uh, some of our listeners and followers on Twitter as well that we'll be sharing to that end as well. But before we get too much into that, I do really want to talk about our our main session um this week. I, I was really excited about running this one. Um, so our current kind of primary D&D game is, uh, you know, the two of us, of course, and we've been trading off uh, DMing duties. Um, and this is something we've talked about a lot on air here. Uh, but I, I think it's just so fun to get to have you sort of plant the seeds of a story and then I get to harvest those seeds. And that was something that I got to do this week in a really, really fun way. You had, you had had some characters you had introduced that you didn't really have huge plans for necessarily. And, um, I thought, well, why let these really interesting characters go to waste? You know, we should, I, I want to spin this into a bigger part of the story. And so I took these sort of little side characters that you thought, you know, maybe weren't throwaway characters, but that you didn't think were going to have a huge impact uh, in the way that I did. And I'm kind of propping them up to become some of the main primary antagonists in the story. Well, so let me put some names to these characters that you're referencing. Um, yes, please do. When I was DMing, I created a what I thought was going to be kind of a minor antagonist. Um, this character, Puck, he was a little uh, fawn guy. who no, was Tuck, on Tuck, right? Tuck. Yes, yes, I always get those mixed yeah. up. Obviously, I really <laughs> care about this guy, Tuck. Um, so he was a little fawn on an island who was meant to kind of come across as like innocent and not the the issue but then it was revealed that he was actually the warlock responsible for yeah. killing a dragon corrupting this island and trying to steal its magic and so when you were saying like these kind of throwaway characters i think that's interesting because i had not really i hadn't given much thought to like his character's background until like we were role playing in the moment so i was yeah. kind of rolling with it and like making this up on the spot when our team was kind of investigating and interrogating yeah. uh tuck to ask him about his background so what i came up with is that he is the seventh son of baphomet and baphomet is his warlock uh patron also his father and the reason why tuck has such a chip on his shoulder is because baphomet had six sons and they're all like these you know powerful yeah. demigods God, goat men's <laughs> things and then along came by accident uh tuck like he was just born he wasn't supposed to be the, it just and kind of the run to the litter kind of yeah. exactly and i really loved the idea that like baphomet this whole devil thing you know six that's his number but then here comes number seven and he's like shit you just ruined this whole thing for me i hate you and you all this stuff so that has always been tuck's thing is trying yeah. to like live up to his father and be another great son of baphomet and have all this power and prove himself yeah Absolutely. Well, and, and I just thought there was so much potential there for, you know, why not have us go through all the other six sons of, of Baphomet, you know, like <laughs> the, the seven evil exes in right, Scott exactly. Pilgrim style was kind of what I was thinking with that. And so, uh, in this session, we did have the chance to meet the first of the other sons. And, uh, I, I think it was a really, really fun role play scenario. So this is, this group is, uh, two of the people in the group. It's pretty much their first go around playing D and D, and so they're not necessarily as comfortable all the time as we are with, you know, with role play and with like really kind of engaging with the characters in the world and things like that. And so, um, something I've been trying really, really hard to do in, you know, in the sessions we've been playing with them is finding ways to help them engage and to make this story and this world more accessible to them and to, and to help them be comfortable doing that. And um, I, I want to make sure that everybody at the table has space to talk, and I think that. 
That's something that I'm really, really proud of how the session went. I think it was really well balanced. I think everybody got to do something. And I, and I think, um, it, it was something that I really intentionally designed to kind of give each of them a task. So, yeah. you know, in sessions past, I think this game has been a little more focused around your character's story, Willa. I think that was sort of a crutch that I was leaning on a little bit to, you know, you're, a, player that's more familiar with the game than they are and so i thought well it's easy enough for us to just you have you have a kind of a big backstory i'll just use that and you can sort of lead this a little bit and they'll become acclimated to the world through through your story a little bit and now it's sort of stepped away from you a little bit Mm -hmm. and we we have room for everyone to kind of come in Mm -hmm. and so um the the story that i was trying to kind of tell this week I, i had this idea i really wanted to uh, tell a story about a sympathetic monster. And so I wanted to take a traditionally, you know, kind of scary and evil monster and use them as a nurturing and like kind character, but talk about how, you know, basically people still, there are still like, you know, myths and, and legends about how scary this type of creature is, but that maybe that's not what their nature really is. And so essentially you guys had gone to this island where there was a healer that lived on in this little hut, basically outside of town. And the healer was a Gorgon or a, a Medusa. And they had worked with this, you know, village for hundreds of years. Everyone knew them and trusted them and cared about them. They were this, you know, supremely powerful sort of guardian of this forest, but they were also kind of the witch that lives in the woods. Uh, so whenever anybody needed any, you know, if they needed healing or if they needed their signs read or if they needed, you know, love advice or anything like that, <laughs> they would come out to this, you know, this Gorgon's hut and this Medusa Liana would help them. And uh, that was something that I thought was a really interesting place to start with it and talk about how what if that that relationship becomes kind of corrupt. And so the main conflict in the session was that one of these sons of, of Baphomet, uh, he came and he basically put everyone in the town under a spell and he tricked them into believing that this, you know, this Gorgon was just a, a mindless monster. And when you guys first got to the town, there was this big festival going on and they basically had the head of this Medusa, you know, up on a, on a spike and they were celebrating and, and partying. And when you went into the location where you were supposed to be meeting this healer, there was just a, a little girl was there crying. She said, you know, they they cut off my mother's head. If it's not returned by sunrise, she'll be dead forever. She'll just stay a statue. So please, like, go, you know, re- grab my mother's head, take mm-hmm. it from these people, bring it back here, and, you know, have, restore the order. We've worked with this town for hundreds of years. They love us. I don't know why they turned against us. And so mm-hmm. you guys had to all kind of go on these different missions to, uh, you know, a- accomplish this goal. So, you know, our our cleric kind of stayed behind and was protecting this, this girl mm-hmm. and shoring up defenses on the island. And so, uh, you know, she got to talk about what she does to explore and look for resources there and how to, you know, prepare for a potentially huge fight. Um, Jet, our rogue, he was the one who, uh, he kind of, yeah, he scampered off and stole the head. Yeah. He, he created a distraction. He kind of dabbles in, uh, magic himself. And so he, he created like a magical distraction and then went and got the head back. And then you, my character went in to be the distraction uh, to also investigate (laughs) this kind of evil, uh, entity that we were facing up against. Absolutely. So so she entered the tavern, found this very powerful guy sitting there with everyone under his beck and call and, uh, sat herself down at his table and he instantly knew what she 
was because uh, yeah. she's a vampire character. Um, and she just started investigating and kind of, you know, digging into what he was doing and trying to uh, get him to see her as an ally. Yes, exactly. Yes. Which I thought was one of the most interesting kind of things about this was that we were able to, you know, have that, that, um, he's a very powerful character and he definitely, you know, knows what's going on everywhere at all times. Like he's very smart. He's very clever, mm-hmm. but you were able to, uh, you know, through some really excellent role play Thank and you. through some really, you know, kind of good uh, roles, you were able to convince him that you were a friend of his. And so uh, it ended up turning out that Jet stole the head back, brought it back to the island, and then he kind of hulked out. He he just went crazy and charged towards this little island that we were on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thinking you were following behind to help him, uh, you know, initiated a fight with our party. And then you kind of turned and were like, uh-uh-uh, not today. But, well, yeah. so what was so interesting to me about this whole session is that um, you had information about him that obviously I did not know. Um, yes. But I was – so – I was going through in my mind, um, trying to work up several different like role play scenarios that I thought could happen if, you know, Willa could deceive this guy the right way. Yeah. And then you threw some information at me that kind of like blew all of that up. And that was that this guy was actually like part vampire. Yeah. Like he had that, but he was able to like control his vampirism and suppress it when he wants to and show it when he wants to. So a lot of what I was trying to think that I might have like an upper hand that I could offer to this guy. I was like, oh, well, maybe I could bite you. I could make you immortal. I could do all this other stuff for you. But it's like, oh, wait, he already has all this stuff. So that now becomes null and void. But what was interesting about it, like after the fact, was... I felt Willow was very conflicted in this session, and I really liked that for her because she has been traveling now with this group for a long time, um, and they have a lot of, you know, bonds that way. But I think she's still kind of a morally questionable character. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. She she lives in the gray area. <laughs> she does. Um, and I really liked the idea that she was very tempted by the idea of this person yeah. because there's a couple of things. There's Willa is she's. She is a vampire, but she doesn't really, she's not really in tune with the vampire quote unquote culture. She hasn't interacted with many other vampires that she hasn't like, you know, fought or chased away. She's not in that like Nosferatu Dracula lifestyle, you know, she doesn't like live in a, in a spooky manor somewhere up on a hill. But she would love that though. Like given the chance, that's the thing is I feel like she's kind of at war with herself about, do I accept this part of me or do I try to suppress it? Yeah. And so here was this very powerful guy, which one, she's very drawn to power Two, she was physically attracted to him. Um, Um, And then three, that like he had these connections to both him being like a dark entity himself and then to like people of power within sort of this realm of, you know, mysticism and dark magic and and things like that. And so in the end, we did kill him and we did cut off his head. And now we are left with Willa. She has this guy's head that she's carrying and she's kind of cradling it and holding it close to her, thinking to herself, I kind of wish I knew this guy. I kind of wish I could have asked him questions and learned more about different things things that I'm curious about about myself. Totally. And so it's this kind of interesting place mindset where she is. And I thought that was kind of a a nice sort of happy accident for me because while I expected you to be kind of engaged and interested in this character, I didn't really anticipate the level to which, you know, Willow would, would, you know, be attached here, which I think is really cool. And I think that gives us a lot of cool new directions to go with this. Um, I'm kind of picturing like the, uh, you know, the, the, 
what is it in god of war you carry around uh, a head of like an oracle or whatever and he can continue to speak to you um or you know or the north mythological story where, where that happens mm-hmm. um i can definitely see something like that sort of happening that there's still a little spark of life inside of this head and that in times of great need maybe you know He'll, he'll be able to speak with you and, in, in a, you know, give you advice or something like that. Or you can ask him questions about Baphomet. Who knows? Very I, interesting. Yeah. I think that'd be really fun. The other thing that, um, afterwards, after the session, Sam and I were just kind of like brainstorming and spitballing. Yeah. And I was getting really excited because we had this idea, <laughs> um, with this whole idea of, you know, Tuck's whole issue is that he's that seventh son, but they have just killed, our party has just killed one of Baphomet's children. Yes. So now only six are alive. And so I liked this idea and who knows if it'll go this way, but the idea that Baphomet might come to Tuck, the son that he otherwise didn't care about, and he would say to him something along the lines of, you know, I don't like you, but I've lost a son and now you have an opportunity to become the sixth. Absolutely. The numbers are back and, uh, you know, balance is potentially restored. You could maybe prove yourself to me and I, we could go back to this grand plan that I had. Yeah. 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 Which I, I just think is so cool. And I'm like, oh, there's a lot that could happen there. I think this is all a really cool example of how stories like this just kind of grow organically. And right. I think that would be, you know, talking about advice that we'd want to give to new DMs and new storytellers and new, you know, D&D players is give your stories space to grow on their own. You know, I I think it's definitely important to kind of have a general plan and to say, okay, I know where this is going to go roughly. I, you know, I want to have X, Y, and Z are going to happen in this order approximately. But if something comes in that's more interesting, I think you should not be afraid to you know, kind of throw that out the window a little bit and, and let something happen just naturally. Um, and that's very much been what's happened with this session. And, and I think a big part of that, uh, one has a lot to do with our kind of switching back and forth in the DM seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just been a really, really interesting experience, but also just, yeah, being willing to, you know, put in the work and sometimes have to just throw it in the garbage. Uh, totally. that, that's a thing you just have to deal with sometimes. And, and I think some of the most fun D&D experiences tend to arise out of those, uh, those situations. Absolutely. Yeah. And also just like thinking from a narrative standpoint, as much, and I feel like I've said something along these lines before, but as much as you can say to yourself, like, oh, I'm just going to like sit down and think out like the best, most witty, most clever plot. Yeah. Well, sometimes, you know, you yourself will lay these little narrative seeds, not knowing what they're going to grow into like for this example like suddenly now we have this cool kind of like slot opening of the way the story kind of grew i don't think i could have planned that out myself if i had like sat down and been like oh but if you murder one of the sons then back (laughs) we're back to six and all this jazz and so yeah it just kind of happened and i really like that yeah you're absolutely right and and i i think none of this was on my radar Mm -hmm. when i was designing that and i think that's awesome one thing i also do want to talk about here is just the the way that the combat also went in a totally different direction um yeah i was kind of thinking you would maybe have to the the daughter of the healer she was like don't hurt anyone in the town they're clearly under a spell you know if you're going to go get the head back please try and do it peacefully and i i, I wanted that to be able to go either way um because i know that willow wouldn't probably care about no. you know hurting these innocent people She'd and <laughs> jet probably didn't really care either our only our only uh, you know person in our party who would have really cared would have been katira our cleric but um, if it had come to it and you guys had had to fight off a group of people, I think that could have just happened. But the way that it ended up working out is, you know, that that spell was kind of broken and everybody just sort of went back to their business and you ended up fighting this this big goat man on your on just him on his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was kind of a massacre. I sort of <laughs> expected him to have some backup. And then you guys just 
tore him apart um literally and, yeah and, and one of the things that i thought it was just the visuals of this fight were so fun to me that um you know jet are you know he's he's a little rat man um who has a cloak that allows him to turn into a giant like dire wolf so he turned into this huge wolf he jumped and was you know in kind of like a reverse tug of war mm -hmm. with this guy so he's got he's got a giant wolf gnawing on his arm he's got two big medusas like shooting spells at him and then uh, you know a vampire lady jumping on his shoulders and stabbing him and a, you know and, a, and our cleric it was just nuts and one of the, the kind of the final blow was that uh liana this this gorgon um i wanted to give her uh uh, uh a pretty powerful set of spells and so she was going to cast bladestorm but i was like what's a thematically interesting way for her to do this well she's a she's a medusa instead of spinning blades in a tornado it should be spinning snakes so he's <laughs> grasped by a giant wolf he's just getting he's getting stabbed by a frog man because my frog man is there he's getting uh, a giant tornado of snakes swirling around him and just biting the shit out of him oh as God. he goes and he, he that's how he ended up falling was just being covered by snakes and frogs so great. And, you know every biblical plague you could imagine basically it's beautiful also willow rolled exceptionally well yes, uh, she had advantage yes. because he thought she was on his side yes but um uh yeah she did a great good old stab through the neck yes i i thought that was it just a very fun and very satisfying and and pretty quick uh combat session it was on nice. that one, so. yeah that was we really wanted to talk about that because that was i i think one of the more fun uh games that i've run in a while it, mm -hmm. because everything just came together in such an interesting way um yeah. in an expected and in unexpected ways uh so that's Something that I think we want to try to emulate a little bit this week with, uh, you know, our, our creations. We want to build something that has room to grow on its own. And then we'll also give our new players interesting opportunities to sort of explore who they are and what their, you know, what their stories are going to become. Um, because, you know, our, our players here, they have a rough idea of what their backstory is, but mm -hmm. I think oftentimes they are learning about their characters at the same pace as sort of the, the rest of the party is. And so right. allowing them to go and do things to see what would my character do in this situation is, is really what I want to get out of this starting yeah. uh, scenario. So absolutely, um, to, I think maybe lay a little bit of a foundation here for what our party composition is, like what this, this party mm -hmm. kind of looks like. So we've got a uh, drow monk. Uh, we have a gnome ranger, mm -hmm. and then we have your character, a Furbolg cleric. So yes. kind of a cool party composition. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're, you know, I think the, the expectation right now is that the drow and the gnome know each other and been traveling for a while. And so, uh, you know, maybe your character knows them well also, but I think, you know, my immediate inclination would be to say, well, we have to have a reason for them to come together. Maybe mm -hmm. we tie your cleric's introduction into that coming together into that sort of call to action um yeah. that i think would be a convenient way to do it but that doesn't necessarily have to be the only approach of course yeah i think before we start like actually you know choosing what we are going to do for our first scenario or our first session i think we should kind of just start by discussing different ways in which you can start a session yeah for and sure. the things that you need to consider for sure um because one thing that we were kind of chatting about is i feel like it's interesting to think about okay do i want to what is the thing that's going to start the plot yeah is it based solely on the location for example we talked about like should we reuse one of the session like starting sessions that we've done before mm -hmm. or 
do we want to um, give these guys a very genuine, like, first D&D experience and have yeah. them all start by entering a tavern? Exactly. Like, because the tavern is the meeting space. It's very classic. But at the same time, I think you have to ask yourself, do we want to give them this classic first experience because they haven't had it before? Or do we want to say, well, if you're new to D&D and you aren't really great necessarily at role playing and, and, and initiating things, maybe we want to give them something that's a bit more... Uh, scenario driven. Yeah. So it's less of you walk into a room, start talking to people and yeah. more of kind of you wake up chained together in the bow of a ship. Like, <laughs> what do you do? Like kind of For a sure. situation that kind of launches things instead. I, I like that example, especially because um, it puts everyone in the same location, but it doesn't say like we just are going to hand wave it and assume you all knew each other. They all could have been you know, put there for different reasons, right? right? But because they're in the same sort of problem together, mm -hmm. they are motivated to work together to get out of it. And maybe they'll stick together again after that. But that's sort of what their interactions in the heat of the moment are going to determine if they, you know, if they think, oh, you know, we got out of a scrape pretty pretty well back there together we make a pretty good team don't we maybe well, exactly. we should go on an adventure and, yeah. yeah me as a newer dm that's one thing that i always try to focus on when yeah. starting with my my session one like scenario is because i personally i want something that's going to force these people to engage yes because yes obviously if you have a really stubborn player who's going to be like i just met you guys and i have my own backstory my own <laughs> thing i'm not going to hang out with you dudes so bye it's yeah. like okay obviously most often your players are going to be like this is why we're playing this dumb game yes we have to engage with each other so <laughs> let's just work together because that's how we know this is going to go yeah. um so i like to kind of try and give it a little nudge by saying i there needs to be an element here that kind of forces everyone to want yeah, to engage certainly certainly i i also think um you know that's something that is probably the most intimidating thing for for new D, &D players is you get into a you know into a room and what do you do? Well, anything. You can do whatever you want. There right. are no limits. Like, you know, that's, it's like saying, you know, finding out somebody speaks Spanish or something and go, Oh my gosh, say something in Spanish. And it's like, well, what do you want me to say? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, I don't, I don't just have a thing ready to, you know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're uh, put on the spot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that's a, an important thing. I, I do want to, let's, let's maybe, wind this back a little bit here mm -hmm. because I think we do have some interesting sort of things we want to touch on just regarding our advice for new players and new new DMs yeah. to this game. So I, th I want to spend a little bit of time just going over some of our recommendations and mm -hmm. suggestions for, you know, what we would say are good approaches to playing or running a game like this and also some of the things that we, you know, were, were recommended from our, our followers and listeners on, on Twitter. Um, and the first thing that I want to talk about is something that I, I think is going to be really helpful for us here is... Um, um, just talking to and listening to your players. Mm -hmm. um, I think role-playing games are at their best when you as a, as a dungeon master are treating your party like co-pilots and not like passengers. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you say, hey, we're all telling the story together and we can kind of lean on each other and – you know, help each other to do that in the most fun and most interesting way. I think one, that's a much easier way to run your game, but two, it's going to be satisfying for everyone. It's going to engage your players because they're going to feel like they have ownership over the world. Like their stories are, you know, really important and they matter and, you know, that they're kind of building in the same way as you are. And so when we were done building these characters, I asked, uh, Devin and Ellie are, are two players that have said, what do you guys want out of this game? Mm -hmm. Um, what are you interested in? Do you like combat? Do you like role play? Do you like, you know, do you want to just solving. like tell a story puzzle solving? Yeah, yeah. What do you want? Um, and sort of gearing our, our, 
our path mm-hmm. based on what they want to get out of it. I think that's a really, really important thing. And I, agree. I think that all lines of communication at the D, you know, the, the D and D table should always be as open as possible. Um, and it seems like maybe really obvious advice, but I don't think that's something that necessarily all groups that I've been in have done consciously, you know, right. I, I think literally saying, what do you want mm-hmm. is a really, really valuable tool. I think as DM, and it obviously depends on the person, but coming from like a, when you know you have all the creative control, if that's the way you view it, it can be easy to kind of get swept up in your own headspace yes. and your own idea of what the narrative is going to be. Um, so I think it is important to kind of take a step back from that big picture that you are working on to say, oh, wait, hang on, let me make sure that everyone is engaging with this and that they like what I'm doing and that they're getting yeah. out what what they want out of it. For sure. Because, you know, something that you think went really well might not be nearly as fun for your players. You right. know, like, you know, our, our last session I thought was really well balanced. I thought you all had space to talk and I thought you all got to do really interesting stuff. But if we had gotten a text from, you know, Haley afterwards and she had said, Hey, I don't, I don't really feel like I got to do anything this right. session. You know, I, I'm not going to be the best judge of that. Mm-hmm. Only she can know how she feels about how a session went. So right. yeah, just being ready to hear those things from your players is is really, really important. Absolutely. And I remember specifically, um, so with our huge uh, session or campaign that we did for a couple of years, um, one of our players uh, was your best friend and old roommate, yes. Zach. And he is a very uh, quiet, like observant <laughs> player. Yeah. That's how he plays the game. He kind of just sits back and until you engage him, he'll give you a few words of what his character is doing, but he's mostly just kind of watching. Yeah. And I remember when we first started playing that and I was seeing Zach be that way, I said to you, I was like, does Zach feel like we're not including him enough? Like, is he is he having fun? Is he comfortable? And mm-hmm. we talked with him about it and he was like, oh, yeah, this is still super fun for me. <laughs> I just I like watching you guys do this and I like chiming in when I yeah. when I do, but I don't feel left out. And so making sure that that's how these people are comfortable playing and so long as that's where they want to be then that's for good. sure for sure yeah, yeah identifying these different these different kind of play styles and and i think this kind of rolls into the next piece of advice that i have here as well is it's just relax you know well it's important to you know make sure you're having these conversations don't try and force them and don't try and like push people to to tell you things about themselves or about their characters or whatever that they aren't ready for yet or that they aren't comfortable for and mm-hmm. I, and i think you know this goes with on kind of a meta level um it works with your players but it also works just for the story and the game in general um letting things happen naturally and letting things just sort of unfold at their own pace um that's how we got some of the most interesting mm-hmm. little kernels of future stories uh in this most recent session and i think that's also something that you sometimes have to consider when you are talking about the actual like party dynamics is yeah you know if you're not playing with people that you're really close friends with that you've known for a long time mm-hmm. it's going to take a little while for you guys to probably Build be comfortable trust, enough yeah. to yeah mm-hmm. to to start really getting into your characters and doing voices and making yourself vulnerable and opening up and and telling people what you want and what you like and what you don't like i think a big part of that um i've often found we were kind of talking about this with ellie and devon is that establishing a kind of tone with your sessions uh really helps make everyone feel comfortable in the yeah. role play setting yeah. that's why i think so many of our sessions always lean towards comical because yeah. that's what we love to do with our friends we love to just <laughs> rift on each other and like make up funny scenarios yeah. and i often find myself in session saying okay this isn't canon but what if this happened and then describing some silly thing and then if we all laugh really hard someone will be like that's canon now and we're like woo it's part of the game i i often um, feel like our <laughs> our dynamic is kind of like it's that um that, that ricky gervais show where liam neeson wants to be a stand-up comic yes we're we're, we're ricky 
Ricky Gervais. I can't think of the name of the show, but Ricky Gervais is uh, he's like a you know agent or whatever. He's a producer, or some some guy who helps find talent, and he has all these celebrity cameos on. And there's an episode where Liam Neeson comes into his office and he's like. I want to do comedy. And he's like, okay. And he's what, horrible at it. Well, yeah, what, what do you want to do jokes about? And he's like, well, here's some ideas I have. Funny monologues. Punchlines. <laughs> jokes. He's just like listing all these things. And he's, yeah, he's so terrible at it. But obviously that's the joke is that he's so like gruff and tough, but in mm-hmm. a really funny sort of way. And jumping back and forth between those sort of worlds and those tones is something right. that happens a lot yes. in our games, uh, which I think is so fun. Exactly. And I think the thing is, so like if you have these grand ambitions of like having this very dramatic plot, right? But you're working with people who are kind of new to this and they need to like build up that comfort zone first. Yeah. I actually think it makes the serious moments all the more meaningful when you've already like had all of these like fun and funny engagements with each other. And, and so once that is kind of like laid down and everyone's comfortable, then it's kind of easier to sort of be like, okay, now we can kind of ease into these like serious yeah. role play scenarios yeah. where let's talk about death. Let's talk about our fears and our ambitions and things. Because, you know, if it gets too much, someone can always, you know, break the tension a little bit, and, like make it a little fun again, if that's sure. what you need to do. I, I think in either direction, yeah. the contrast is really valuable because it helps highlight the you know the, the differences between the serious moments and the funny moments make them both seem more valuable and, Definitely. and more interesting. Yeah. I also especially know that looking back at when I started playing D&D because I was rather uncomfortable with <laughs> doing like kind of role play stuff especially since I had we had just started dating and I was new to your friends and so I was like I don't really want to throw myself out there like doing yeah. a character and voices <laughs> and stuff because what if it's not the vibe and what if I look like a fool and all this stuff and so I definitely used comedy as kind of like a, a crutch almost as a way to kind of ease my way into sure. getting to know both the players and the characters and everything and I I've found that now that I'm like really comfortable with role play, I am way more inclined to be like, no, I can do a good 15 minute like dialogue with you as my character using an accent, whether or not it's a good one, <laughs> um, because I've had that chance to kind of find my feet. For sure, and and uh, yeah, like we said, it's something you just have to grow in at the table, grow into at the table. Yeah, um, I think we've always been very lucky that we have predominantly only played with people that we're already pretty close with or that we, you know, that we at least know like from real life in some capacity. And, you know, for me, it's always been people that we've known for years or the people that I learned to play the game with, um, you know, so we all started in the same sort of space. Um, I think these lessons definitely translate to, you know, like online only groups or like pickup groups or, you know, groups of people that you just meet at your, you know, your local hobby shop or whatever. Um, I think, I think just trying to apply this to strangers can be a little bit harder, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's equally important. Yeah. Um, and I think you should maybe kind of go into this like, you know, don't treat the people at your table like strangers. Treat them like your friends. And I think that maybe makes it a little bit easier to, yeah. to sort of talk to them about it. Um, do you have any other kind of insights or advice from – you know, your experiences as, as a DM or, you know, anything that you've found to be really helpful or useful. I've, I've got a few I can rattle off from Twitter if you need a moment to think about it. But so if we're talking about, um, establishing like starting s- sessions. Yeah. Um, I would say from my experience, I've always been kind of leaning more towards the, captivating scenario approach, mm-hmm. which is something I'm looking forward to talking to a bit more later when we start going through examples of this. But um, I 
definitely more so kind of it's it's my inclination to always be like ooh maybe someone hasn't done this before even though yeah. surely everyone has <laughs> but i like trying to be like well i don't want to give something that's predictable i want to try to you know throw my players into something that they're like oh well that's interesting didn't yeah. see that coming on day one um to kind of be like okay well react guys you've got to have the hook yeah exactly yeah. so that's kind of my personal approach just to like kick things off and, and get people thinking and role-playing yeah. right off the bat i think that maybe speaks to you know we we kind of talk a little bit about having like linear like railroad type stories mm -hmm. or like big open world sandbox type games right mm -hmm. and i think that even if you are trying to run a big open world sandbox type game sometimes it really is important just to say okay this 10-minute stretch of the game, we're in a cutscene right now. Mm -hmm. You're going to see this thing that I've designed that I mm -hmm. think is really interesting and cool, and you're going to shut up while I do it. You know, like I, I, sometimes that's just a thing you have to do is mm -hmm. just create something and say, I just have to take complete control over the situation right now because that's what will push your players into the next space. And yeah. obviously, I don't think that you should just force your, you should, you should, <laughs> you should not subject all of your players to this at all times, right? But sometimes that can be kind of a valuable way to just show off something you think is really cool. Yeah. Um, I also think yeah. along those lines, there's this idea of if you want to help your characters feel like they're in the moment, um, try setting the scene, you know? Yeah. And that even could go as far as, you know, put on some music in the background or soundtrack stuff. There's tons of things on YouTube that are just like the sound of rain outside or, yeah. you know, the quiet, clamor of a tavern you, that you can play it just kind of builds the scene puts everyone in that mindset and maybe it helps them kind of be like okay i feel like i'm here right now yeah and i can kind of better visualize how my character would react in this moment since i am also experiencing For these sure. things and also let your players help you do that you know right. we, we talk about all the time on the show how one of my favorite things when we're going into a new location or we're you know getting into some kind of a conflict is i like to ask all of the, everybody at the table, I say, what's something you see here? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, those are things that might come up later in role play or in combat or, you know, if, if one of our players says, I see a chandelier up in the ceiling, maybe in 10 minutes they're going to be swinging from that chandelier and mm -hmm. jumping on the bad guy's head or something like and singing that. Singing C at the top I, of their lungs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I think those are all important considerations. Um, I want to read a couple of recommendations now from, from Twitter. We had um, actually some uh advice from the friends over at dragon wings podcast that's at dragon wings pod on twitter they said i would say for new players watching a couple of youtube videos on the basics of how the game works uh is is a valuable thing but not to get really bogged down in learning all the mechanics uh concentrate on building a fun character the basic rules are simple and if you're playing with a nice squad or a new dm you can learn the rest at the table together yeah um and i i think that's that's a really relatable experience. Um, you know, as streamlined and accessible as fifth edition is, there are a lot of rules. Um, and they're mostly pretty straightforward. You know, for the, for the most part, you learn a few core concepts that you just reuse over and over again in kind of different, you know, scenarios. Um, but it can still really seem like a lot. And mm -hmm. so, I would agree with that. You really shouldn't feel like you have to read the player's manual and the dungeon master's guide front to back and oh, have yeah. it all memorized. I don't think that's the most effective way to do that. I think you should learn by doing and, and learn by playing. And if exactly. you really are committed to, you know, finding ways to make those rules a little bit more accessible for yourself, there are a ton of apps out there that can do it. You know, mm -hmm. Rule 20 has all kinds of, you know, like calculators and things like that you can use. There are, um, you know, there's apps that can keep track of your spell books for you so mm -hmm. you don't have to constantly being referring 
be referring back to those. Um, there's a lot out there and I feel like you should, you should give yourself <laughs> time to grow into kind of how the game works behind the scenes. Well, so in regard to that whole, like, following it by the book and by the rules, I can actually give an example that I've heard secondhand from a good friend of mine, one of my old roommates, uh, Jess. Um, she used to be part of this D&D group, um, back, uh, in Mankato where we went to school. Yeah. And that group, she, she actually, it kind of, damaged her relationship with these people because they were such rule followers about like the how the game is supposed to be played by the book standards yeah that it kind of ruined um the you know the engagement and the fun because most sessions she said they could hardly move the plot along because they spent so much time debating oh yeah. well this uh my interpretation of this spell means actually it can't work here <laughs> and blah 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 and that like took her completely out of the game totally. so be careful with you know following rules you know too much yeah that it might damage things because that's the thing is all the rules exist to make a game and the point of a game is to be fun right uh and if you're not having fun then yeah that's the only way to lose at D D. exactly you yes. know? like <laughs> anything that you do is right um as long as it's fun Exactly. You know, and especially if it's fun for everybody, yes. <laughs> I, I think that's great. Um, I, I think, um, yeah, that's, that's probably, I'm, I'm consistently rearranging my hierarchy of rules yes. here. <laughs> you know, in my head, every time I'm like, oh, this is the one thing I would say. Nah, that's probably the one thing I would say. There, there are a lot of important yes. things to consider here. Um, but just make sure you're all having fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and whatever form that takes for you, that should be your number one goal that you're chasing down. Right. Um, another great piece of advice here from, uh, Jordan, uh, super fan yeah. of the podcast, Jordan. Uh, that's at, the only Meeb N33B on Twitter. He says, as a new DM running a game for two new players, my starting advice is just to have patience. Everyone knows different things and thinks differently. Let your players come up with solutions. The best way to get someone fully into the game when they are new is to ask them how or why questions. Mm -hmm. And that it just comes like back to the communication. Yeah. yeah. Like letting your players, you know, don't, don't think, well, okay, I designed this puzzle that's supposed to take 15 minutes and they've taken, you know, 17 minutes to solve it. I, you know, don't get impatient. Let them, kind of poke and prod and I, I think that can be really really hard to do sometimes if you're not being really conscious of it another thing i like about that how asking them how and why i think that's really good advice because you often do that sam when um if one of our magic users right they say i'm going to use this spell to attack this monster yeah. um you often then try to bring in the narrative and you say describe to us like how you conjure this spell. Yeah. Like, what are they doing? Are they saying something? Are they doing something with their hands? Do they, are they playing an instrument? Like, I think that's a nice way to kind of say, well, you can't just say, I do the spell. It's like, and? Elaborate, Absolutely. please. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think that touches on, hey, another important rule that I kind of have here, and this is more just a preferential thing for me, is that I think everything should be an opportunity for role play. Yes, you agreed. Know? Um, any action that you take, no matter how rote or mundane it is, is an opportunity to you know, describe something really unique and interesting and start pushing the story forward, even if it is just in kind of an aesthetic or a superficial way. Um, we had, uh, I, I thought a really cool thing was that uh, our group reacted very positively to this was when Jet was trying to create a distraction, he, he cast, uh, he cast, uh, like, a, a spell that made a great sound, and he was saying, I want to make it sound like God is talking from the heavens. Yeah, the voice of God. Yeah, the voice of God. And so, um, I, I think, uh, 
you know, Jet kind of gave up narrative license to me on this one. I said, okay, so what Jet does is Jet whispers into his hand and, you know, he just kind of cups his hands together and says something very, very quietly and then throws those words up into the sky. And then when they bounced back down, mm-hmm. they were this great booming sound. And Haley was like, that's such a cool way to, you know, yeah. to do that spell. Right. And I was like, <laughs> you know, any, any of us could have done that. And, yeah. and that was such a minor little thing that was really insignificant to the story. That description didn't really need to happen, but it was a fun thing to do. And I had fun doing it and, mm-hmm. and Haley had fun hearing it. And I presume you did as well. So, yes, that yeah. was fun. I liked it. <laughs> um, I, I think those are really some of the most rewarding experiences when you just get to say something and people are like, whoa, that's cool. You yeah. know, give people space to do things that are cool. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you got a few more before we start making our thing? I do have a few more here. I'm going to look through and see. I want to I want to get some real nice little nuggets here. Um, Juicy bites. So we've got uh, lose underscore games underscore win. That's L-O-U-S. That's a funny little pun there. I like that. On on Twitter, they said, I always tell new DMs to use the yes and rule of improv, but also a no but rule to help reconcile uh, wants and game mechanics. Can I tame a dragon? No, you're level one and dragons are immensely powerful, but maybe you find a young hatchling or an egg and you can raise it. Um, Yeah, I I think that's something that you know, D&D doesn't really have mechanically built in degrees of success or failure. You don't get, you know, like with Powered by the Apocalypse games where you can have like a success with advantages or with disadvantages or a failure with advantages or disadvantages. But finding ways to include that in narratively on your own is a really powerful tool. Um, being able to say, this works just not in the way you quite thought it did, or this Absolutely. this doesn't work, but hey, there's a, a happy little benefit to it. Um, reframing these things can be really, really helpful. Well, that's another thing we were actually kind of talking about when we were hanging out with Ellie and Devin is this idea of um, we often go back to a system that I would love to try sometime, but we know it through the yeah. podcast uh, campaign is this kind of idea of success and failure yeah. and the scale on which that is decided. Um, because we were discussing also, I think, at our, our session that we played this last week was this idea that I think it's a little it's a minor flaw that you could roll like a. Uh, a, a perfect 20 or whatever, or you could roll like a 19 yeah. or something really good. And that simply determines if you like actually strike your opponent, but then you have to roll a damage. And what if you roll a damage that's not good? And for me, I was like, that's a little frustrating. I just got a 19 or a 20. Yeah. I did this great blow, but I only did four damage to this guy. That should be like bumped up, I think, because yeah. of the first good roll. And that's one thing I feel like in that we've seen in sort of like the campaign and that mechanic in this that Star Wars game, this idea of rolling like successes and failures and then using the narrative to say, okay, you failed, but you failed with a like, what's that little with caveat? With an advantage. Yeah. yeah with an advantage yeah. so describe how you fail with an advantage yeah. it's this idea of like oh well i totally like barfed all over myself when i tried to talk to this girl <laughs> but she took pity on me and yeah. now i get a second chance yeah. yes exactly and we when we were talking about this the other day too i think it's also if you look at it from like a player to player perspective mm-hmm. um it allows everyone to still have agency when only one person is acting, right? Yeah. If you look at it from the frame uh, framing of, you know, say you got into an argument with one of our other par- uh, characters and you swing to hit them and you get a really good attack roll but a bad damage roll like like in the example you gave. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you take that to mean, well, okay, I caught them off guard. I was able to hit them, but they were able to react and kind of shrug off some of the some of the hit because totally. they got to you know they they aren't frozen in they're 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 not a 
they're involved in this interaction in a meaningful way as yeah. well, I think is maybe a helpful way to kind of put it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's, I'm going to do one more here. Cool. Uh, and I, I like this one a lot. So this is, uh, Let's see, Jades Z, J-A-Y-D-E-S-Z, uh, at Twitter. They said, don't play it safe. Uh, as a DM or a player, you've got to take risks. Sometimes you benefit immensely from it. Sometimes it ends in a TPK. Uh, but no one remembers the time when you lay out a perfect plan that goes well. You, you have to kind of push the boundaries. And that's where really, really fun, interesting stuff is going to happen when things go wrong. I 100% agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think in the same way, it's similarly more fun a lot of the time to not have characters that are super powerful and you know because if if you're just having huge numbers added to all your roles and you're succeeding all the time then you know where's the excitement where's the where's the risk where's why is it scary yeah it's not exactly um yeah your your failures are generally going to be more interesting than your successes in my opinion which i think is i so what i that makes me think of is yeah. in our other session our um what are we calling that one like our evil campaign yeah we're yeah. playing as like all like bad guys um, I, in my backstory, and this is kind of a fault on my part, I should have known better, but in my backstory, I've, my character is, uh, like, he's beyond middle-aged, so in my mind, I'm like, <laughs> oh, he's been alive for a long time, he has all these skills and these talents, but we're still playing as level one, and part of my story is that I'm like, oh, he's successfully, like, murdered all these people along the way, but then when I'm actually in session and I'm trying to, like, draw people out to the shadows so I can kill them, I keep failing. And yeah, so I'm thinking yeah. to myself, I'm like, okay, why is my character suddenly not good at this thing I said he was good at? <laughs> and then it's like, well, okay, because maybe now I'm interacting with powerful, magical people where before I was interacting with, you know, whatever townsfolk simpletons that I could easily, like, manipulate and take advantage of. And now these people are way stronger because I'm in this new place yeah. where I'm no longer the big shot. I'm now a little fish. And this big pond. I mean, that's the beauty of D&D is no matter what is going on, whether it follows the rules or not, if you can find an interesting way to justify it, then who cares if it follows the rules, right? Like, you know, that that might not make sense if we're looking at just the mechanics of it, Mm -hmm. right? But you found a way in in your head to say, okay, that that makes this fun and cool and interesting. Right. Uh, And that's number one, obviously. Yeah, exactly. uh, Yeah. So that's some of our great advice i think here uh if you ask me i hope this is all kind of valuable to you um we're quite a ways into the episode here and we do want to of course get to some of our actual creation work so um to sort of lay out what we're going to be doing here we're going to be coming up with the place Mm -hmm. where this is all starting Mm -hmm. um whether it is a tavern or whether whether it is a ship or you know or or just out in the woods something like that Mm -hmm. we need a starting location we are going to come up with the problem Mm -hmm. that we all have to face here so is it that a dragon is coming to burn the village down is it that somebody's, you know, uh, heir was kidnapped or is it that, you know, somebody was murdered? We have to solve this this mystery. And then we'll be coming up with the people. So we've got, we've got our three Ps here. Yeah. So we've got uh, the, the place, the problem, and the people involved in it. So the more that we've been talking, Sam, um, the more I'm – Going back on what I was originally saying the other night where I was like, well, maybe we should give them that, like, you walk into a tavern experience. I'm now thinking, <laughs> no, we should not do yeah. that in the first one. Because I think there's plenty of time to, like, go into taverns later in games. That happens all the time. <laughs> Snore. They will have that experience yeah, the, down the, the line. the place is lousy with taverns. There's going to be a tavern eventually. Exactly. Yeah. I think, actually, since these guys are brand new to D&D, we should start right off the bat by doing a very compelling scenario yes. that says, why are these three people here together? Yeah. That's what I think we should kind of focus on. I So what I can see – well, first off, we should get some prompts for this, I think. Oh, we you should, think? We should get a prompt word maybe. Uh, yeah. All right. You want prompt words? 
Oh, I want yes, I, I want a prompt word, please. Okay, Piper. okay. I've got I've got three words here. Okay, I think we should not limit ourselves too much. I mean, yes. We should have kind of a yeah. wider scope to work since we're yeah. going to be actually using this. Yes. So the three words that were randomly generated here, I have the words sprout, incandescent, mm. and sadden. Ooh, okay. So I I just want to have those words in our mind, but I want to kind of talk through a couple of things that I had taken notes on uh, prior to this. Yeah. And one thing – so I just wrote down a couple of examples of yeah. different compelling ways to kind of say why would three random strangers or maybe two people who know each other and one random stranger suddenly – find themselves in a situation that says we have to work together for something. Yeah. So some of the things that I've written down, um, this is actually one idea that I might have touched on in the podcast earlier, but I really think, and I don't know if this is the one for this session to do this, but I love the idea of being like session one, you guys are all in a wedding party. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to now assign you your roles. Yeah, like yeah. you are the bride. Like, and then that person can decide, have I been in love with this person and I can't wait to marry them? Or <laughs> is this an arranged marriage and I don't want to do this? You sure. are the flower girl. You are the uh, person officiating the wedding. And yeah. then to say, okay, now let's simply say, tell me about like Kevin and, and Charlie, like uh, how long have they known each other? How do you For know sure. the couple, you know, and For you sure. can kind of elaborate on that. I feel like a scenario like that would be a really fun way to kind of just get your mind working right off the bat. Absolutely. And I think that gives you a lot of space to build up the setting and build up kind of the backstory. Yeah. And, and, you know, then of course, you know, what happens when a dragon flies through the roof of the cathedral where everybody's getting married? How do you all deal with, you yeah. know, how do you come together and deal with that? Or Actually, the more that I think yeah. about it, I think like a wedding or a ball or some kind of a big okay. party. That would be a really fun way to start. I like that. To say we're all at this big grand event. So, yeah, you know, what I was kind of thinking is, let's maybe put this little spin on it, is uh, I I like the idea of our ranger and our monk. They've been traveling together for a long time already. They already mm -hmm. know each other. Maybe this wedding is happening in a town that they're passing through. Mm -hmm. And maybe our cleric is the one who is conducting the ceremony. I like that a lot. So that could be really good. Yeah. <laughs> if, if we're just, you know, they're traveling, they're going through some like, you know, small town. Maybe they haven't eaten in a while and they decide to sneak into the wedding to they're try and get a free crashes. meal. Yeah. They're going to crash this wedding <laughs> or something. Or maybe, you know, maybe you, the cleric, you say there have been some bandits, you know, in, in the nearby area for the last couple of weeks. We've been hearing a lot of rumors about it. We need to hire some people to act as like, they, they would say we need you to be an usher, but really they want you to be a bouncer at the wedding to keep out other That's wedding cute. crashers. That would be kind of a fun thing to do. Or like they could say, well, here's the thing. The bride has this really jealous ex-boyfriend oh, and yes. he's threatened to come and stop the wedding and you guys have to make sure that that doesn't happen. I like that a lot. That's yeah. really fun. So keep out the riffraff. Oh right. my goodness. The, okay. The anti-wedding crashers. I'm going to write go. down, keep out the riffraff. <laughs> so that's one thing that we could totally do that would be super fun. That's awesome. And I, and I think... Hey, look, let's let's tie this into one of our prompt words here. What I was picturing immediately is this is kind of like a small farming town. Uh -huh. They're planting little sprouts. Hey, seeds. there you go. Perfect. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we we just it. checked that box. I just wanted to make sure we did that. <laughs> <laughs> um, a few other just like random scenario things that I think are kind of classics uh, that we could possibly build on is the idea. I think the whole like murder mystery scenario. Yes. Classic. Sure. Everyone receives a mysterious invitation. They must yeah. come to this place. Um, that's kind of a good way to kind of say, OK, like 
how do you know the murdered person? Like, how? <laughs> what is happening here? Yeah. Um, a, a summons from a king was another thing I wrote down. Is that you sure. all call? You are all called to the royal court by a royal summons of the king, and they have a, a mission for you, or you all have skills that they require. Something like that. Like someone powerful summons you forward, yeah. so you yeah. can't say no, uh, yeah. and you have to show up. Um, the last one that I wrote down here, which I just thought would be like another really fun thing, is this idea of. Everyone is, uh, they've all signed up voluntarily to help go establish a colony on like some, like, outskirts of some land. And I, thought of this because i've just started watching a really great show um produced by nat geo it's on hulu right now it's called Barkskins, yeah and it's about the french and english uh settlers who are in uh, the pacific northwest this town that they're building and kind of the lumber war trade yeah. that's happening and their interactions with the native americans there and one thing that's really interesting about the show is the town is kind of made of all of these societal misfits these yeah. are people who went to the new world because they saw an opportunity it's extremely dangerous here and you might, you probably will die. But if you don't die, <laughs> you're going to have a great plot of land in the new yeah. world and all this power. And I think that's a good example of why these random people would be like, well, we've all agreed to come and try and set up this town together. So, like, maybe you get there and somebody unrolls a scroll and it says, all right, first thing you have to do, establish who's going to be your lawkeeper, who is going to run the tavern, who is going to be the person sure. who mans the stables. And then you kind of assign these roles. Who is going to be the village idiot who yeah. just sits around in, in manure? <laughs> all day rolling around in the mud yeah who's gonna be the sex people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everybody has a role to play yes. um i i think that works well with the wedding idea too though that this idea of everyone having a role yeah um it it makes me think a lot of it, over the garden wall mm-hmm. uh of course we have to talk about that again because yes. why not Always. we're constantly talking about over the garden wall the episode where they go to the tavern and they think that uh wart is getting married and they sing this little song about how everybody has a job to do on on a wedding day everyone in town has something to do the florist has something to do the you know the baker has gets to make a cake the cobbler gets to make fancy shoes the tailor gets to make fancy clothes like everyone sort of comes together and yeah. they're all kind of activated and they're all an very excited way. about it. exactly yes, there's work for all for sure. the little boys get married yeah. <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> i i think that's really cool any scenario that you know kind of pushes everyone to take action um is very convenient yeah. as a dm to do i like the wedding idea i think we, I like it too we should stick with that because cool. that's such a fun one but i i think you're right i think the idea of uh, you know kind of starting a new uh you know colony or starting a new like town somewhere out on the outskirts because we're all uh you know we're criminals or we're you know people who didn't have a place in the old world or mm-hmm. whatever is also a really interesting starting point i would love to do like a roanoke themed yes. setting or something like that sometime that is a scenario i think we should save for a campaign down the line for you and i because yeah. we were saying um, <laughs> it's ours listeners you can't have it <laughs> i mean you guys can do it too i'd love to hear how that goes for you but um sam and i were talking about how one thing that i feel gets a little like I don't know. It, it starts to get a little old, in my opinion, when every session is like, all right, we're on the road again. Yeah. What problems do you have, new town that we've encountered? Like traveling, I feel like can get it can feel a little repetitive. Yeah. And you and I were saying off air that the idea of what if you had a campaign where you stay in one place? Yeah. Like you have to develop this town together. And For it's sure. all about the internal drama and the internal conflicts that come to you. For and sure. less so going out, because otherwise I feel like you're like, OK, 
here's a new tavern and here's a new yeah. tavern keeper that I have to invent. Not yeah. like that old one. Here's this guy is, uh, you know, 10 feet tall totally. and has a blue beard. Very <laughs> unique like... and interesting. They're still a gnome, but they're 10 feet tall. Strangely. Oh, yeah. he's got a, a growth disorder. <laughs> I, I think you're totally right. Um, one, I think it's a little bit of a way to give yourself kind of a, uh, kind of a pass on having to create a lot of stuff as a, you know, as a DM, if you can mm-hmm. keep using recurring characters, like, you know, why and simply develop them? More. Exactly. Why throw away all the work you did to create all of these characters? Because that's the thing, like every DM can relate to this, whether it's just an inkeep that you're going to meet once or not. I, I know a lot of uh, dungeon masters who they put in way more oh, effort yes. coming up with the backstory and, you know, in the history of this character that no one's ever going to learn about, you know? You, so give yourself a chance to <laughs> introduce them to the players. You cry yourself to sleep because none of your players bothered to ask about that one <laughs> mysterious book on the shelf yeah, exactly. that you've actually written a copy of <laughs> in case they want to flip through the pages. I learned how to bind books specifically for this session. And out the window, out the window. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a good thing. And, and there are first party examples of this in in Wizards of the Coast, you know, D&D material. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, you know, Ravnica and we have big, you know, big cities where we can spend all of our time in this town and the, you know, the the city itself is the wilds. Anything can happen here. There yeah. can be, you know, muggings and magic and and uh, you know, all kinds of things can kind of come through here. So, yeah, that's uh, another interesting take. I like that a lot. I'm seeing this again, I, like I said, as kind of like a smaller farming community, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, maybe it's, you know, they're passing through because they're on their way to a big town like this. And mm-hmm. so this place maybe has access to, you know, more resources than, than some other places like this. So it can be kind of that high fantasy. They have a big, beautiful wedding cake and it's like a nice cathedral. And maybe, you know, maybe it's not just made of timber and stone. Maybe it has marble fixtures and statues and things like that. Yeah. That lets us paint this world in a more interesting way, I think. I agree. I yeah. think this is, um, a, a well-established township, and mm-hmm. it does have people in the community who have money um, that they've been able to build these nicer structures. Um, so, yeah, I would like this to... Uh, should we try and make a name for this town? Yeah. Or should we maybe brainstorm that off air? No, let's, let's come up with a name for this town. I always like to use, <laughs> this is kind of my cheaty way of, of copping out on naming just locations, pick right? Objects and call well, it that. <laughs> yeah, basically, you, you either pick an object and you say, well, what's this place known for? Wheat? Well, it's Wheatville, you know? I mean, Wheat because that really. is traditionally how a lot of things were named, yeah. you know? Portland is the land of ports because there's a lot of ports there. Um, yeah. or if it's a town that's kind of on the way somewhere, I, I'll call it Wayfair or Waystone mm-hmm. or, you know, like Traveler's Rest or, you know, something like that. Um, you can – a name is a description of a place really yeah. at, at its core. So describe the place with the name and that can be an easy way to kind of prompt yourself to do that, I think. Yeah, I feel like – so I do like the idea that this is a, a semi-wealthier community, which means that there yeah. is a resource they have access to, I think, that gives them that wealth. So maybe that resource has something to it. Um Maybe there is a an ore deposit that they can yeah. pull from that helps them Maybe, financially. So here's or, what it is. We said that it was kind of a farming community. Maybe there's like some kind of magical ore that makes the land very fertile. Hmm. So okay. it's, you know, they they would call it like uh, glowstone or, you know, or something like that. Something that is like sunlight basically is trapped in these stones. And so even at night, their plants are getting sunlight because yeah. of this stuff in the, in the ore. That sounds nice. Um, yeah. Maybe they would call the place sunstone. 
Sunstone. Yeah, we can go with Sunstone. We can also build yeah, on that. Yeah, we, we, we can build on if we like something different. Um, cool. I like the idea that upon entering this town, you would notice that I think there's a, a big class disparity. There's like yeah. a lot. There's the lower class people and then there's the... Um, I think the, a, the one percenters exactly. The there is a kinda, yeah. a uh, hierarchy in this town, and I think all the people who are of a nobler birth or uh, will have more money, I think they all are wearing um these sunstones um in some display. So the women all have like jewelry that has sunstones on them, or the gentlemen will have like a ring that has a sunstone, and that's how they they proudly wear these gems to yeah. say. Just so you know, I'm one of the better people. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. That's, that's funny because I was definitely thinking at first this is more of like kind of an egalitarian, like, you know, even playing field for people here. But that does, you know, pose opportunity for interesting kind of conflicts. Maybe not everybody in town is happy with that. Maybe that's, you know, maybe, maybe part of the reason why this lady's ex is so mad is because her former fiance was of the upper class and she left him for someone of the lower class well, or something like that. That's kind of why I was going in this direction yeah. is I feel like there needs to be um, – it's going to be sort of like a, a battle of lords sort of. Yeah. Like he's threatening to like – I think he this guy, he has money too and he also has um, like men behind him that I think yeah. he's, he's threatened his – X to say if you go through this wedding i will come with my guys and i will like burn down the church yeah, or something exactly yeah so um yeah yeah i i like that i think that's a good okay so we've, we've kind of got a few of our people here and mm -hmm. we've got a place we've got a problem i mean it, it's coming together yes we've got the the framework here we have... do we want to come up with maybe i mean obviously we need to have the key players in here i think we should have the names at least of the you know the couple getting married mm -hmm. and the crazy evil ex that is coming to kind of mess things up i think also an important figure that we could include that would be sort of like revealed at, at the last minute is maybe there is a plant in the wedding party there's somebody who is paid off by this evil ex i thought you meant like a vegetation plant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> i was like ooh, a sunflower back on that sprout um <laughs> you know that's another thing if if this is a place that is, you know, filled with sunny soil, there should be sunflowers everywhere. That would be one of the visual traits of this place. I like that. Cool. Um, but, uh, no, I, I think maybe there's, maybe there's somebody in the wedding party that, you know, they just kind of brought them in. They, they weren't like really close, but they just needed to fill out the wedding party. And that person was paid off by this evil ex to like, unlock the door during the ceremony or something like that. So cool. if, if the party can find, out that there is a mole and mm -hmm. if they can find out who it is maybe they can kind of flip the tides of this uh, encounter before it ever even comes to a fight or before the person ever even gets here uh so yeah. a couple of visuals that just popped into my head i like the idea that um the bride-to-be um and her ex i think they're both uh high elves right okay. and i would love the idea if her groom-to-be is actually like a little dwarf like cute yeah i like it yeah exactly and i think maybe that's partially maybe her like evil ex guy you know he's got some yeah issues and he's like you can't get with a dwarf they're so beneath us and she's like he's 10 times the man you will ever be tolkien's uh, ghost just shed a single happy tear at this uh <laughs> this marriage of elves and dwarves i think that'd be really cute and like he could have a little step stool and he climbs up to give her a kiss for sure i love that a lot yeah the, maybe he has maybe the 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 ring bearer there's like a little assistant a little officiant or something that comes up with a little stool and puts it down when they you know when they have to go and kiss and then Cute. when they're done he grabs a stool and runs off yeah <laughs> <laughs> um 
No, I love that. Cool, cool, cool. What? I oh, I also had another great, like idea visually that I think would be really cute. Yeah. So um, maybe he is uh, he works with like these stones and everything, and yeah. he's like kind of more of like the lower class manual labor type. Yeah. Well, literally um, lower. Literally ground, lower. So, but yeah. I think um, he when he was like courting her, I think he 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 found her like these beautiful stones that he pulled from the earth and he's he's like these are nothing compared to your beauty and he would Aww. offer those to her and she's like oh my goodness <laughs> like you just pulled that out of the mine i love you so much he's like i pulled it out of my ass <laughs> <laughs> uh that's that's great <laughs> no I, I like that a lot and i think that you know that's a meaningful gesture because it's something that is it, you know it's it's knowable to him it's something that everybody seeks these these resources right um and using that to kind of tell a story and to convey a message that no i think you are more beautiful is it's very poetic um i like i that makes me want to think that this dwarf is very good with words and maybe he is a poet maybe in his free time he does a lot of writing things like that yeah yes yeah poet like it dwarf minor (laughs) um i think so uh she, I think, is just simply, um, like a lady. So yes. of this class, she doesn't really have a job. She's kind of just like, oh, I'm like, uh, yeah, a highborn lady. Noble woman, yeah. Um, but because we've been talking about this town and it's, uh, how much it seems to rely on the economy of all of these like resources that it yes. has. I think her her father definitely approves of her marrying um this dwarf because he says this is a self-made man and he's clearly like dedicated to his craft and he like is bringing in this you know the whole idea of like this new money thing and I think he can definitely provide for you and take care of you. So I definitely yeah. approve. Also you love him. So yes. <laughs> also I'm just a good dad. I'm a good dad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so go for it, sweetie. Cool. I, I like that. I, I like this story that's building up around them. I like that the whole town is kind of in support of it, except for this this rich, nasty ex. Yes. What, this should be – this is a nice story, right? I mean, it's a first session. It doesn't have to be like doom and gloom scariness. We can say it. it's not like the real world. People right. are happy together and they get along together yes. all the time, except for, you know, very specific, strange scenarios. Right. Like, I think that's – a. That sets the tone of a world that I kind of want to play in and explore. Yeah. Um, I want to think about here. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about this. Um, what, what is the evil ex's plan here? So mm-hmm. he wants to come and stop the wedding, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is he going to do after that? I mean, is he just going to come in and say, I object? And then everybody's going to go, Oh, okay. Well, he objects. So I guess we'll just, <laughs> you know, we'll stop all this now. I mean, is he coming and does he want to maybe kidnap or kill the, you know, our dwarf character? Does he want to, you know, maybe lock everybody in the church and burn it down? What are his kind of goals? And I, how could we find that out? Um, I, I think it's important that maybe we have, somewhere in the church maybe in the um you know in the area where the wedding party was getting ready there should be like a note in the mole's jacket that says you know thanks for thanks for unlocking the back gate here's mm-hmm. the money that i that i owed you or whatever we'll meet tonight at midnight and i'll give you the rest or something yeah, like that I like so there's that something for the party to find to right. tip them off there should be yeah. some clues because that would be a fun thing i think for the players to engage in is to be like "Ooh, like what do you find and you were talking about maybe you know writing on scraps of paper that you can yeah. actually hand to them so they could be yeah. like oh i found this note oh yes yeah of course so another piece of advice that i would give is try and close the aesthetic distance between your your game story and the real world you know if you want to engage new new players to the game um 
make props, you know, make, make fancy drinks or something that when your party has to drink a potion, you go here, have this. And they have to drink a little, you know, shot of Kool-Aid or something like that. Or, <laughs> or if you go into a tavern or if you go into a place like this, take some paper, soak it in tea or coffee, put it in the oven for, you know, a minute and, you know, singe the edges, find way. And, and then, you know, write out your note on there, find ways to make the unreal world a little more real. And I think that can be a, that's a, as a player, mm -hmm. that is the most fun thing ever. If, yes, if definitely. somebody says, okay, here's the menu for this tavern and then they physically hand me something. Yeah. That's just a night and day difference between right. a setting where you get to do that and where you don't get to do that. And I love doing it as a DM, uh, for getting to see those kinds of reactions from my players too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that would be a really cool thing that if you, if you have a secret note from this evil ex, maybe get an envelope, um, write an actual note, stick it in there, get a little wax seal, stamp it closed or something. And you say, yeah, this was in the jacket of the best man's uh, tuxedo, which is hanging in the, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm wondering the question I'm about to ask you, um, whether or not this is maybe too complicated for a first session. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if we should think about. Um, because the party is probably going to arrive at the town, at the town, like, uh, maybe a couple days before the wedding, right? Yeah. So that, that probably. way they can explore the town. They can be recruited as kind of guards yeah. to keep this guy yeah. out. So in an, is it too much to say right off the bat, if they were ambitious enough to really do some investigative work, could they maybe, like stop this guy before he even gets to the wedding itself yeah. to cause tr trouble. Like maybe they find him and they're like, we're just going to tie you to a tree and then you can't do anything. Or like, do we want to make it simply be like, okay, it is the day of the wedding and they are attacking yeah. and you have to like defend. So I think if that's something you're concerned about being too complicated, the question shouldn't be, you know, is this too complicated? The question should be, how do I make sure my players don't do this? You know, yeah. if, if that's not something that you think you want to have sort of in the scope of your first session. No, I think it'd be really cool to do that. I, I agree. I'm just wondering if you think it's a lot. No, I, I think I think we have to consider the fact that our party is going to do stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if they're just wandering around this town, if you're not in full on cutscene mode mm -hmm. the whole time, maybe they do just get to the bottom of this. Maybe You know, your party is probably... If, if you're as clever as any one person in your party, that means that they're collectively three times more clever than you, basically. You know what I right. mean? Because there's yeah. three of them trying to solve a problem that you, only one of you came up with. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's something that you should definitely leave the door open for. Definitely. And, and I, I think that would be a really interesting interaction. You know, what do you do when your evil plan fails because two strangers come into town mm -hmm. with, you know, a bunch of villagers with pitchforks and they kick down your door and they say, you're not stopping any more weddings around here, buddy. <laughs> and then, you know, you maybe you ride off on your horse ruining the day that these two came and we now have a new like kind of rival character that yeah. can, you know, revisit this group uh, in the future. Well, that's one thing. So I think for developing the plot of the scenario, I think that the wedding is scheduled to happen, let's say maybe in two days. Yeah. When, the, when the party arrives. And the information they're given up front is this ex has threatened the bride and mm -hmm. he rode off. So yeah. I think he's not in the town. Yeah. Because otherwise they could that's just a, go and lock him away. That's a great way exactly to yeah. just to – he's got a secret hideout somewhere. He went to his uncle – his rich uncle's villa or something right. like that. Right. He went yeah. off to go grab his men. He's inaccessible. Exactly. Because I think maybe some backstory we could thread for this guy is that he is a lord himself – um, he's of this high blood. Lord Farquaad. <laughs> but ever since he, like, was, 
for several years, he's really gotten into like this bad crowd. He's fallen yeah. into like this band of like ruffians or whatever, and he kind of sees himself as their leader. And so okay. his father has been trying to set him on the right path, but it's just gotten worse and worse. And so maybe that's how he got connected with this girl. He was like, "This is a nice girl. If you get married, maybe you'll clean up your act a little bit." And it just didn't work. And right. it, it just pushed him further to insanity, basically. Well, yeah, I think <laughs> because it fell apart exactly. But so poor girl getting introduced to this guy, he's like. Uh, she found out pretty quickly he's a bad bloke and she's like no I'm not interested totally. in you so she, she like called that off I could totally see her having like a confrontation with the father and be like look I appreciate what you're trying to do like you love your son I get it but I'm not a band-aid I know uh, I can't you, fix this yeah, guy yeah you can't just like yeah. tape me over your son and have me have me fix this so yeah, yeah so I think he, he threatened her and he's like if you go through with the wedding you're gonna regret it maybe we give more specific details like maybe he said like or maybe no maybe he just does that just you'll regret it. Yeah. And so they don't know what to expect. Like, he wouldn't yeah. say, I'm going to burn the church down because yeah, they're like, totally. cool, we'll just drench the church yeah. in water and then it can't yeah. burn. It's and not like... time for this bad guy to monologue and reveal his plan yet. You do that exactly. right as you're about to enact your plan, not exactly. several days in advance. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, threatened, he threatened her and then he rode off, presumably to go gather his, his bad guys cool. to help him. And maybe that's kind of all we need just now to kind of start things. Yeah, I think that's great. And, you know, obviously we can sort of fill this in with... Whatever extra details, you know, we want. I mean, we, we can anticipate, well, what happens if somehow the party does find him or what happens if he shows up early or what happens if, you know, when he gets there, is the party waiting with a bunch of clubs and they just beat him up and throw him in the mud? Do they, you know, <laughs> does the party kill him? Do they lock him up? Like, who do they, do they, do they go to the nearby town and say, Hey, somebody's going to crash this wedding. Come and help us. Can mm-hmm. they get outside help? Right. There are so many different ways this can kind of go. And I think those are the things that you have to be able to just run with on the fly, right? Yeah. Um, whatever solutions your party, you can anticipate your party coming up with. It's very likely they'll come up with a different one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, looking at, uh, I think just considering like success and failure options and maybe finding ways to steer their, mm-hmm. you know, find ways to whatever solution they take, fit one of your solutions into it or fit one of your like results into it, at least kind of roughly. And yeah. then fill in the details based on what they actually chose to do on, on the spot. Definitely. Um, I think we still need a name for. Our our three characters here, certainly. Do you have any initial thoughts? I don't have any initial thoughts. uh, But, well, I mean, I guess I always like for dwarves, um, I always like the idea that Urist is just kind of like John for dwarves. That's something that I get from- We had so many Urists. I know, we always do, exactly. But um, that's something that I always get from Dwarf Fortress. Um, That's just sort of the thing is every orc in that game is like Urist Fingerbiter or Urist (laughs) Stone uh, Nibbler or Urist uh, Snackman. I I don't know. um, a name that just popped in my head for the bride, uh, I, I tend to lean toward L names, but Lydia? Yeah. Lydia? Lydia is a pretty name. That is a pretty name. Let's go with it because I don't want to think of something different. All right. So Lydia. <laughs> We're literally just filling out the form here yes. is all that we need. So we've got Lydia and Lydia is marrying a lovely little dwarf mm-hmm. named Carlisle. Fancy name, but he's a poet, so I like it. Yeah, exactly. Carlisle. Lydia and Carlisle. Carlisle. You are hereby invited to the wedding of Lydia and Carlisle. Cool. And what's the bad guy's name? His name should be like... Dirk. Like, yeah. His name should be like Lord Darkness or something. Yeah. And we're like, how did we not figure out he was a bad guy the whole time? You know? <laughs> That's a good point. Um, Dirk is good. Dirk is a cool, like, sharp name. D- Dirk. A Dirk, like a dagger. That's yeah. what that is. So. Lord, uh, I think Dirk is his first name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Dork is his last name. Whoa! Um... 
Lord, um, Lord, what are fancy douchey sounding names? Um, I don't, I keep going to C's, but we already have a Carlisle, so I don't want to do that because mm. I was like Cumberbund. Um, Lord, uh, Dirk Bronson. Bronson's a strong name. Yeah, Dirk Bronson. Lord Bronson. Works. Yeah. Cool. We got it. Cool. Dirk Bronson. The other ones probably don't have last names. I mean, I guess Lydia is highborn, so she might, but maybe she just doesn't. Because yeah. I don't want to name one, so. Exactly. <laughs> uh, if you have suggestions for the last name of Lydia, the most interesting suggestion we've possibly asked for on this show ever, <laughs> feel free, please, to reach out to us on Twitter at WorldForgePod, and we would be happy to hear your suggestions. We will uh, definitely come back and amend this episode if we really <laughs> like the name that you did. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think this is a good starting point for this adventure yes um, and i also by the way i'm totally on board i think uh i love the idea that my furbolg um uh searsha which is yes. her name i think she's already been in the town for a while and she is the officiant yes and so course. that's how she meets these other two teammates and so i'm sure they can convince her to be like hey can you help us kind of investigate the situation because so fun in the moment she has to be you know conducting the ceremony but yeah beforehand and in reacting in the moment she can definitely be there to fight and help and i like this stuff. a lot yeah. I, I like this a lot weddings are fun uh D is fun it's a perfect marriage Aww. of two very fun things Yay, wedding, <laughs> wedding. we're going to a wedding awesome uh so yeah let's let's uh just leave it there i think um listeners get at us if if you have suggestions what flavor do you think the cake is uh, what, what are the bride's wedding colors here? Exactly. Uh, what kind of flowers are on display? We would love for you to help us kind of paint this picture. What group of bards did they book to play the band? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> did they get, uh, crossbows and roses? <laughs> did they get... Pat Minotaur? Pat Minotaur, yeah. <laughs> uh, so many, so many fun options. So let's just, uh, put that one down for now. Cool. Uh, we are going to use this in our session coming up this week, mm -hmm. and then we'll talk about it again next week and, and let you know how it went, if we made any kind of big changes, if things went unexpectedly, what sort of the final uh, conclusion is. And we'd love to compare that to your conclusions. If you, you know, come up with any other ideas for the story, how you think this should go, if you want to use this in one of your games that you have coming up, uh, that would make us very, very happy. But uh, for now, I think it's time for us to pop over into the rec room. The rec room. Uh, we've got a, a couple of cool recommendations here. Here. Um, the first one that I want to make is just another little piece of advice, and that is, um, you know, all of this is happening because we are playing D&D with some some new players, some people who were just we we met some old friends of Piper's. We kind of reconnected and they said, hey, we've never done this before. And we thought that would be really fun to to show them this game. And I think that's something that's really good for all players and DMs to do is you should embrace opportunities to play with new players. And I know we've talked about this on the show a couple of times before, but I just think it's so important that we always look for opportunities to see other people's play styles, to to teach and to learn in turn, because that's how we get better. That's how we grow is by, by teaching and sharing with others. And so this game is really at its best when we are doing exactly that and finding ways to bring new people in and, and make this, you know, game that is already very accessible even more accessible to newcomers exactly uh, everybody wins that way so so please go and go out and do that find find I, a stranger on the streets I and say you here's a dice I roll it with me i can't help but picture the scene from finding nemo where the sharks have to all bring in a buddy and it's like <laughs> yeah. all right have we all done our homework did we bring in a fish friend and it's like here's my fish friend <laughs> exactly the little little fish skeleton exactly. in his mouth, yeah. i um misplaced my friend <laughs> so go find a D. &D 
D&D pal. Bring them to your next um, D&D monthly. <laughs> yes, yes, please do. The other recommendations that we have, we Role had Players we had Anonymous two- <laughs> meeting. <laughs> We had we had two other recommendations here. Uh, Piper, if you want to talk about our, our next one here, we already hinted at it a bit earlier in the show. Yes. Uh, watch Barkskins. Yes. Just because it's really good. It's, and I like it a whole so lot. Cool. Yeah. I think it fits the D&D setting very well. Yeah. Um, There's lots of really compelling characters. Yeah, there really are. Um, and it seems to be – I mean, it's not – like a historical, you know, retelling of a real story or anything like that. I don't think so. It's but, based off of a novel, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it seems to be taking care to, you know, be authentic in in certain ways mm-hmm. uh, that that I think are really interesting. And so, if you're looking for inspiration for a cool kind of colonial era story or a you know colonial inspired D D session or something yeah. um it's a really fun show and you could you could definitely pull some ideas from there i'm sure it's also a fabulous source for just good fashion I mean, yeah this yeah. era is like my favorite <laughs> everyone looks like they are a pirate captain on the high seas totally. with all the big hats and coats and, and they all look fabulous that, that cool like mercenary guy who totally looks like d from vampire hunter d yes which is oh, awesome yeah he's gorgeous <laughs> he's got a cool wide-brimmed hat yeah like this black kind of dublay type thing no nah, yeah, there's really, this, really neat. the this duo um and they are company men of the hudson bay uh company which is yeah. just like a cool way to always talk about themselves yeah. but they yeah. like kind of strode into town like a couple of mysterious like cool dudes and they're like looking for a, a man that's gone missing and they're sure. kind of conducting this investigation it could be another great first session start, oh, right? so great yeah. yeah whether you're that those two people or if you're you know helping them somehow or maybe you're the person being looked for you know, exactly. maybe you refrained for a crime, whatever. Maybe you actually committed the crime. Who knows? It's also good. Yeah. Very, very good. Uh, the last recommendation that I wanted to make this week is actually for, uh, so right now, and at the time of release, there'll still be a couple days for this. There is the Steam, uh, summer sale going on. And I picked up a little game called Kingdoms and Castles. Um, it's on sale for like $7 or something like that right now. It's really inexpensive, but it's just a cute little city management game where you just build up a, you know, a little town. You can, you know, make, uh, you know, fisheries and bakeries and, uh, you know, farms and, you know, barracks to train troops and you can build up walls and stuff. And every couple of years or so in game time, it, it moves pretty quick. A year passes in like five minutes or something like that. Every couple of years in game, uh, you know, a dragon will come and attack your town or a horde of Vikings will come and attack your town or like an ogre will come and attack the town. And it's it's just a very simple, very straightforward management game. But a lot of the, the stuff that you get to do in there um, uh, are things that I often take for granted when I'm building up towns in my game. I forget about oh yeah well you know we can we could improve the walls by building the pyre or oh if i if i have like my charcoal makers too near the houses and the people in the houses get mad because of all the smoke or you know just some of the jobs that are being done in this game are interesting little pieces of flavor that you could use to add to your world if you aren't sure what's in the town that your party is currently in, looking at games like this can be a great way to find inspiration. Playing, you know, a real-time strategy game like an Age of Empires or an Age of Mythology, look at the things you can do in those games and see how you can incorporate that into your your Dungeons & Dragons. Um, is a really, really easy way to just get some free lunch, essentially. I think that's really great advice because one thing that I love is like, I want things to be as detailed as possible. I want to feel as immersed in the experience as possible. And like things that give you that information that you couldn't think of yourself is really cool. I mean, that's another thing that I've personally gotten out of watching Barkskins is, you know, you get to see these characters wake up in the morning and and how do they set their hair before they go about their chores and all the steps they have to go through just to make breakfast. You know, you have to get up and you have to go and fetch the eggs and you have to actually like cut the straw the night before 
before and make sure the weed is ground yeah. and like do all of these things to just have what for us, you know, you wake up, you pour some Wheaties in a, bar- <laughs> in a bowl and eat them. Like simple as that. Everything is so much more complicated in yeah. this kind of time period and this setting. And it's really, I think, fun personally to be like, think about that. Think about how hard you worked before you were able to sit down and eat. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, so that's, that's my recommendation. Uh, Kingdoms and Castles is the specific game that I was talking about, but any kind of medieval you know, fantasy, real time strategy type game like that, I think could be a good, a good place to grab this kind of inspiration from. Um, I, that's, I love that insight that that connects so well with bark skins and, yeah. and what you've been seeing in that show. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so those are our thoughts this week, I think. Uh, and that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, Piper, <laughs> if our listeners want to find more of us, where can they do so? Um, well, you can always, uh, tweet us if you want. Um, we're on Twitter at WorldForgePod. Um, you can also send us emails if you have more to say. Uh, mm-hmm. we are at WorldForgePod at gmail.com. Um, and also we are on all of the streaming services. If yes. you want to support us without giving us any money, cause right now <laughs> we don't have that option, um, you can write us a review yes. on any of the platforms that you listen to, uh, podcasts on. Or recommend our show to friends because yes. we like that as well. Absolutely. That is by far the best way you can support us right now. We we do get people asking us from time to time, like, how how can we support you more? Go write us a review, please. Like, leave us a five-star review. Uh, write up a nice little comment on it or something on, on Apple Podcasts, on, on wherever. It does more than you can possibly know. Mm-hmm. It's the podcast equivalent of, you know, smash that like button on YouTube. You know, <laughs> like, comment, and subscribe. Um, and, and hit the little bell icon for the notifications. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that would just mean a lot to us. And if you leave a particularly nice review, we'll, maybe we'll read it on air or something. We haven't done that in a while. We should maybe go and read some more of the reviews yeah. that we've gotten on here. <laughs> if only because it puts big smiles on our faces. Absolutely. So thank you again, listeners, for tuning in. We'll be back next week with the results of our you know, little adventure here exactly. and uh, hopefully another really exciting topic. I don't think we've decided quite yet what it'll be, but we have a few fun ideas in the can. Mm-hmm. So uh, we will look forward to being back again with you all next week. Yeah, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.